Hey, welcome everybody. Martinis with Scott on a uh, Monday night of a long weekend. Coming to you from uh, Fernie, British Columbia, beautiful British Columbia, as they say. I'm in the uh, in the basement of this country home that I'm renovating, so hence the Irish public feel to it. Uh, we'll be getting there. I've been shooting videos here all week, and people have been asking me about the location. Uh, today we're going to talk to jump right into it. We may have a long, maybe a long show. We'll see how this goes. We're going to talk about uh, turnaround predictions in the cannabis sector. Last week was a huge week uh, for news. I couldn't keep up with it, uh, but I did pick four stories or four events for us to talk about. One with Aurora Cannabis, um, Invictus, uh, MD, uh, Cantrust Holdings, and Acreage Holdings, I think they are, or Acreage Cannabis. I'll get to their proper name. Anyways, uh, so four stories from last week. And the goal of this show is maybe I can provide some interesting perspective for you uh, on these events and these companies. And I'm going to use it as an opportunity to talk about uh, the idea that there needs to be, in any turnaround, in any transition that a company is going through, there needs to be a strong turnaround leader. And as an owner, a stakeholder, an investor, um, anybody who's uh, involved in a turnaround situation, one way to evaluate the possible success of that turnaround plan is to see whether there's a true turnaround leader, um, whether that be a CRO or any other executive who has turnaround management skills. Um, and, and without that, there's a pretty good chance that this turnaround's not going to succeed. <clears throat> and with that in mind, I'm going to have some fun today. I'm going to make some predictions um, about the possible success of these turnarounds and you know, how do you define success in a turnaround situation at, at Sinclair Range, my company, we define it as saving jobs. Um, you know, it's not necessarily all the jobs, but you, you save as many as you can. I think for the purposes of this, I'm just going to say, would I invest in this company, in these four companies, uh, based on what I know about them today? Um, and that's what I do for a living. I invest in, in companies that are high growth or, you know, turnaround. Uh, we try to help them. And uh, so I have some expertise in knowing whether I should be investing in these things or not. So maybe that would be fun and interesting and and we'll see what we could do. By the way, uh, we don't give investment advice. I don't give investment advice, not qualified to do so. Don't trade based on this. This is my thinking. Um, I bring a lot of expertise in a bunch of different areas, but it's up to you to decide what you're gonna do for trading. I'm not selling anything. I'm not even trading these necessarily, although I do trade can trust. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, just keep that in mind. I'm not giving you trading advice. And, um, you know, what's interesting about, you could talk about turnaround in the big picture. Maybe it's going to succeed. Maybe it's not going to succeed. And that may have nothing to do with what the stock does in the short term, right? So the stock may pop or may go down, um, which would just be a market overreaction. So it's hard to, there's a lot of reasons not to trade on this advice, but maybe you'll learn something um, and maybe we can learn something together. And you can take it into consideration uh, when you're looking at your own troubled situations, your own businesses in transition, um, if you're a manager or a board of directors uh, uh, or investing. So let's jump into it. With that, uh, the first company we're going to talk about is Invictus uh, MD Strategics. Strategies, sorry. Invictus MD Strategies. Like I knew nothing about this company before last week, um, but we've done on the Martinis with Scott channel a bunch of shows about insolvency uh, and using the bankruptcy courts to help with restructuring in the cannabis industry, both in the US and in Canada. And 
Invictus is really interesting because they, they've uh, filed and the court has accepted them in a CCAA. We'll get to that in a minute, but a, a CCAA, which is a formal court restructuring in Canada. And I believe they're the first cannabis company with a license to do that. You can fact check me on this. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe they're the first. Uh, we have had companies go into restructuring. We had one company go into restructuring that wanted to have a license. So they were in the application process, but they didn't actually have it. We had one company that had a license, lost it. It was rescinded by Health Canada, and then they went into a restructuring insolvency process. I believe this to be the first that actually has licenses and gone into a, a restructuring process, which is why I found it interesting. They're traded on the uh, Toronto Venture Exchange on the symbol Gene, uh, G-E-N-E, also traded in Frankfurt. Um, between 2014 and 2019, they raised $125 million which is probably light for a cannabis company in Canada. They build themselves as primarily, primarily being an acquirer and investor um, in the cannabis sector. A couple of key holdings would be uh, Acreage Pharma, which is an LP, a, li a licensed producer and a licensed seller in Canada, uh, dried flowers and oil extraction. Uh, Leaf, Wive, Leaf Wise, under a numbered Alberta Corp, which has medical clinics in Alberta. AB Laboratories, which is another licensed producer, LP and seller in Canada. February 13th last week, they were granted an order for CCAA, I think in BC. Now, if you're not Canadian, if you're American, a ch uh, chapter 11 is similar to a uh, CCAA. Uh, Company Creditors Arrangement Act is the Canadian legislation. Similar to a chapter 11, debtor stays in the position. So existing you know, management board, stay in position, there's no receiver or trustee that takes over anything. And uh, the restructuring is intended to go to the court and ask for their help to facilitate a restructuring to preserve shareholder value is the bottom line or stakeholder value. So why was this company Invictus in trouble? What was going on? Uh, most recent quarterly financial statements from October 2019, uh, they had $12 million in current assets, but $3 million of that was inventory, which they later tell you isn't selling very well, and when it is selling, it's selling at a loss. And 5.5 of that receivable was from associated companies. So by my estimation, there was about $2 million of liquid assets as at October 31, 2019, yet they had 12 billion in current liabilities, 10 million of which is accounts payable. So very underwater from a, uh, from a working capital perspective. Revenue for the three months was $800,000. Uh, which was actually less than their production costs. So their, <coughs> excuse me, their production costs was more than their revenue. Same for the nine months ended October 31, 3.4 million in revenue, which was also less than their, than their production costs, production costs for the entire period. And a net loss of 8 million for the quarter and 20 million uh, for the year. I believe that was trailing 12 months. Revenue that was down 20% quarter over quarter. Um, and it said because their product was undesirable, we'll get to that in a second, and a general oversupply in the industry. They had a bunch of cost overruns on a new phase three build out of a, a greenhouse, I assume. Um, so that's the backdrop from the latest financial statements, October 2019. December 16, 2019, they announced they signed a binding letter of intent with Unified Cannabis Corp of Calgary for a private placement to bring in $5.7 million in cash. Uh, this replaced a prior deal for $6 million that uh, fell apart on them. 
And then January 3, they announced that this deal also fell apart. They did not get the 5.7 in cash. And their press release cheekily says that uh, they claimed that Unified did not have sufficient funds to close the transaction. Announced January 3, two days, two business days after the release of the October financial statements, public release of the October financial statements, two days after. And they blame the lender for not having cash. Do you think the lender didn't have cash or do you think maybe they were spooked by those those crappy financial statements? Uh, what else? Unable to pay salaries as a result. So at Acreage Farms, which was their is their primary LP. So they haven't made payroll since December 28, 2019. They have seven security cleared uh, personnel um, who have all said they're going to leave if they don't get paid soon. Um, and without the, the security license personnel, Health Canada may, well, they will just pull the licenses and then the game is more or less over. I already mentioned the uh, over roughly 10 million in AP. Much of that is 150 days old. So they haven't been paying people. It's pretty late. Uh, their bank, ATB, which is uh, an Alberta-based bank, uh, maybe Alberta Treasuries branches, something along those lines. Uh, they owe them $10 million and they have security over most of the assets of the company. They missed an interest payment to ATB, interest payment to ATB of 180 grand on January 31. And so ATB demanded and served their uh, notice of attention to enforce security, which is the first step every lender has to do if they want to go take over the assets, which is an odd step for ATB having, uh, uh, to have taken because you know, if a receiver steps in, there's a good chance they're just going to lose the arm. Strong chance. They're going to lose these uh, licenses with Health Canada. And there will be no business. So I think for ATB, I don't have any background on this, but for them to have demanded and served their NOI, their notice of intention to enforce, just means there was a complete breakdown in trust um, and faith in management of Invictus, the borrower. Um they disclosed in a filing uh, related to the CCAA that their genetics, their strains, are not in demand because they have insufficient potency. Um, therefore, their operations, even the, the, the greenhouses that are operating, are losing money. So side note, you know, the black market is still in Canada five times larger than the legal market. Why? Because it's easier to buy black market. It's cheaper. And the genetics, the strains are way, way better, uh, more potent. I'm not a smoker, so I don't really know. But if you go in and talk to uh, people that are dispensing, that own stores, um, that's the message you're going to get. And that's what the market's seeing. And that's the reason the black market's still five times larger. And so this Invectus has just admitted here in their filings that their genetics are, are crap. Nobody wants to smoke their, uh, their flower. And uh, so they're trying to get new, or they are getting new plants, new genetics and strains to, to grow. But nowhere did they tell you what they're paying for that. Normally there would be a fee or a royalty agreement. If you're in CCAA, I don't see how you pull that off um, and make that sort of change. So there's a <clears throat> there's an unexplained issue that puts a black mark, I think, around this restructuring and turnaround plan. Um, indebted to a New York City, this is the one that makes me the most sick. Indebted to a New York City marketing firm, ABG HMX, for four billion U.S. dollars, five point three million CAD. <clears throat> this is a company that did that did eight hundred thousand in revenue in its last reported quarter, and they've got marketing bill marketing bills of four million U.S. dollars. 
which it doesn't give any detail, but I, I bet you for those on the podcast, I'm about, I am doing air quotes. I bet you that's just to build brand, whatever the hell that means. Uh, okay, so the CCAA filing <clears throat> goal is to um, immediately find, find liquidity. <coughs> Excuse me. Try to on my vodka here. Uh, preserve cultivation, uh, sales and oil extraction licenses, and restructure. Um, because they couldn't get more financing, they couldn't get a bridge loan, uh, they can't sell the licenses, they can't bring in a bunch of equity because of change of control. Uh, so the only option that they seem to have, which is probably true, is to restructure in a CCAA, um, get some debtor in possession financing, and see if they can work their way out of this trouble and ultimately bring in a strategic partner through a sale process. I think that would be the idea. So I'm here to predict, walk through uh, some of these issues. Will this restructuring succeed? Would I invest? Well, from the um, MDNA, the management discussion and analysis uh, filed for the October 31, 2019 financial statement, I counted 12 instances of material management changes um, and board of director changes. Uh, from from the beginning of 2019 to October 2018. So 12 material changes in this small little company, some of them involving multiple people. So there's chaos up the top, lots of turnover. The new C the CEO resigned as part of this uh, CCAA filing. So now they have no uh, CEO. I think the executive chairman stepped in as an interim. They don't have a CRO, a chief restructuring officer. They have not appointed a turnaround leader. Um, and here's a quote for you. They have no fixed location from which corporate uh, the company has no fixed location from which its corporate governance, managerial or financial functions functions are conducted. In other words, they work from home, all of them spread throughout the country of Canada. And, you know, Sinclair Range, my company, we're very virtual. We're the same, but we do have a head office. We do have people show up there every day. Um, all the books and records go there. So there is centralized governance. And the bottom line is we do really well. We make money and we're a successful company. We can afford to be virtual and everything that that brings with it. But if you're a troubled company, you need to hunker down, change culture and start making, comp uh, start making profit. This is death. This is impossible to manage this. So uh, that was a big black mark in my eyes. Um, and in none of the filings or press releases have there been, other than, other than the genetics, there's been no serious or any discussion of operational changes. There's no talk about changing the business model, uh, uh, reducing costs, um, budgeting, cash flow management, very little or any material talk about that. They don't have a turnaround leader. They have limited resources. They have limited value. This is not going to succeed. I wouldn't invest that which is not advice to you but i wouldn't invest that's my judgment based on what we know on invictus so i thought that was interesting for last week let's move to the second one uh, can trust holdings everybody knows a favorite of the show i did a quick shot on um, can trust last week about their uh, not filing their financial statements we did a couple shows maybe even three shows in uh, july august 2019 and one subsequent to that I think one of those shows was called Cantrust Shows What Not to Do in a Turnaround. It's been an unmitigated disaster in my view. Well, and, and everything has shown that. Um, you can go back and look at those shows to sort of get the background on what's going on with Cantrust. So I'm not going to repeat it for everybody here. I had a question uh, from my quick shot last week 
on Cat Trust. We had a question question from a viewer, uh, Mr. Dan C. Give a shout out to him. Thank you for watching and uh, participating um, with a with a good question. And the essence of his question was: Are they going to get their Health Canada license back? Um, you know, are they putting in a best effort to do that? And, and do you think they'll win at it? And my my answer is yes. I think they will get it back. Um, Health Canada has already played their cards on this. They've shown what needs to be done. The trick is going to be confidence in management. Do they believe that the the um, illegal grow, the fraud from the past is over and and things have changed within the company? I don't know that CanTrust has convinced uh, Health Canada of that. They haven't convinced me because a lot of the players are exactly the same. But that's one step that would have to happen. They'd have to file the remediation plan and they have uh, done that. We'll get to that in a second, or at least for their main growing facility, they have done that. It's funny, I, I don't understand why that's such a big deal since the remediation plan would be very similar. In fact, no different from the original plan that they would have filed to get the license to begin with, right? I mean, there's just a process for this. Everybody knows what it is. There's a bunch of consultants that can help you. It could have been done in a very short period of time. In any event, remediation plan is uh, filed for one of them and you need some money you have to pay counsel and consultants and you know you have to you have to survive in the meantime and can trust have had lots of fun so I just think there's a road path that Health Canada has laid out I think they've got enough money to try and get it right and so my bet is they get their licenses at some point not necessarily quickly but at some point so that was last year a week show it was my answer to Mr. Dan C um, now, February 13th, last week, subsequent to the quick shot, CanTrust comes out with another announcement and it says a couple of things. One, it says that it's submitted on February 14th, so last Friday, documentation to Health Canada, documentation to Health Canada regarding the completion of the remediation activities at his Niagara facility, which is their primary grow facility. The filing was made to get the licenses reinstated. So again, I have a question about why that took so long. I would have thought that could have been done last June, but um, anyways, that's done now. The second point is that they're doing the same thing in Q2 2020 for their facility in, um, in the north part of Toronto. I think it is in Vaughan, right? Yeah, in the Vaughan facility. And I, I, I think and can't trust that facility is, a, is an oil extraction. I'm not 100% sure about that, but in any event, Whatever that facility is, they haven't submitted that plan yet, but they intend to. Third point was that once those are done, those those two remediation plan submissions, uh, there's no there's no assurance that Health Canada is going to do anything about it, which has been uh, certainly they've been slow on these sorts of things. So who knows? Um, and that the board of directors and its its special committee is now going to go back to the uh, potential strategic alternatives and view what needs to be done now that they've applied for these licenses uh, to have them reinstated, which is a bizarre statement. I mean, this has been going on since since July, August, 2019. Um, they should already have a plan and they should have told shareholders what that plan is. And this is the entire problem with CanTrust is it's never been full disclosure. It's never been a blunt admission of all of their difficulties and a strong, quick laying out of a plan. But now, the release gets more interesting because what they tell you is that they've appointed a new CEO whose name is Greg Guyat, Guyat, I don't know how to pronounce it, 
Uh, and he's the company's uh, new CEO. He was formerly the CFO. Now, that's an interesting move. Is this positive? Is it negative? Well, it clearly means they couldn't find somebody from outside the company, which is, but that's not really a surprise in this market. There's lots of companies like Aurora that are searching for a CEO and it's hard to find people in this industry that are qualified and want to step into the current market conditions. In my view, it's a great positive that they got rid of the last interim CEO because I don't think he was doing a very good turnaround job at all. In fact, I've got several hours of recordings, videos uh, saying exactly that. However, he's still on the board of directors. He's still calling the shots from behind the scenes or maybe from in front. I think he's executive chairman. Um, so he's still the guy. So they haven't really got rid of him. He was there when the when the issues went down. So if I'm a if I'm a shareholder investor, I'm not happy about that. And then my question is, is this new fellow, Greg, the new CEO, is he a turnaround leader? Because this show, the theme here is to talk about needing a turnaround leader um, to be able to affect a turnaround. <coughs> so the release goes on. The company reminds readers that can trust remains a default of its disclosure obligations under securities legislation. This is the last quick shot we did about financial statements. It has no material revenue because their license was pulled and, and they can't sell anything has terminated and laid off most or a significant portion of its workforce, has no employees left, is facing a variety of regulatory investigations. That's both Health Canada, Health Canada and security uh, investigations. Go to prior shores, uh, uh, shows to learn about that. Um, it has significant contingent liabilities in Canada and the U.S. This would be all the class action suits, the security suits, uh, says here potential civil damages, potential criminal, quasi-criminal or administrative penalties and fines. So there could be some bigger, big numbers racked up uh, from all of that stuff. So that's a pretty blunt disclosure, all of it true, which we've never seen from CanTrust before. It goes on to say the nature and timing and the outcome of the special committee's work will be influenced amongst other things by CanTrust's ability to extend or renew its insurance coverage. Here they're referring to their director and officer insurance because of course the directors and officers had the illegal grow I'm sure the insurance companies are being sued, so they're probably not very keen to reassure, for the most part, the same people. Um, whether Health Canada reinstates the licenses, how long it will take to restore operations if they are uh, relicensed, and, uh, and the expectation of resolution of all the lawsuits, including the class action suits. So again, super blunt um, admission I think of all the material trouble, which we have never seen out of CanTrust before. My bet is that this Greg, the new CEO, however you pronounce his last name, my bet is he's the driver of this different tone and full disclosure and honest disclosure. And I like it. It gives me hope because the first step to fixing these problems is to be able to admit them, not try and hide behind them, not try and blame somebody else like they did. If you go back to the earlier shows, you're going to see that they're their initial reaction was that uh, this was a training issue. You know, people hung up a, 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 and constructed a false wall to grow illegal plants behind to, to trick regulators because they were poorly trained, right? We seem to be past that and we've got um, no excuses. We got full disclosure and I think that's a good thing. The company as of January 31 has approximately $167 million in cash still. Sounds like a lot. I remember back in the 90s, Hollinger, uh, someone will correct me on this, but I believe it was burning through 10 million a month in board and director and professional fees. 
Uh, like this money just goes quick, particularly with the class action suits uh, outstanding, but still sitting here today, $167 million. Will this turnaround succeed? I have several shows saying they're doomed. I'm a little bit more bullish with this change. Uh, they still have some money. Uh, they seem to have, they have a new CEO. I like the first release. Obviously need a lot more information. Remember that the getting a license, everybody thinks uh, that getting a license is gonna be the home run for, well, we're back in business. You're not back in business. The, you're out of, you're out of staff, you don't have any people. Um, you don't have any people, you don't have any revenue. You've got a horrible reputation in the market. The industry is saturated. Uh, you can't, so you know everybody else is cutting back. What are you gonna do, start building up your greenhouses and cultivation again? There's all sorts of issues with restarting this thing. Now you might get a stock pop because of the uh, because of a license coming on board, if in fact that happens. But I, this company's got a lot of trouble in front of it beyond the licenses at this point. But they have cash, and would I invest, which is what this comes down to? The answer is no. I think it's really risky at this point. But I am, I, I've been uh, short, I, I've uh, owned puts on this thing well, since the stock was around $3.50. And uh, we've done very, very well on this through to today. But I'm, I, my original plan was to ride this to zero and I'm, I'm reconsidering that at this point. So I'm gonna keep my eye on kind of trust closely. Um, I think there's a glimmer of hope. By the way, can this company be turned around with the right people and the right plan? Uh, you bet. Here's what I would do if I wanted to rebuild shareholder value at Cantrust. And again, I have no inside information, um, <clears throat> but you know, when you're do when you're turning a company around, you just need to have a plan and you need to execute. And then every day you need to adjust your plan for what's working and what's not working. What you can't do is sit around with a special committee for six months and have no idea what's happening. Here's what I would do. I'd look um, ASAP, depending on uh, legal advice and solvency advice. I'd be looking to um, seek protection or some sort of formal way to negotiate uh, and settle or protect uh, the assets from all of these uh, liabilities, lawsuits, contingent liabilities. And that might be today, it might be six months from now, but I'd want a plan to blow those things out and restructure them as quickly as I could. Uh, audited financial statements, I'd fire KPMG uh, today. Um, I'd, I'd go find a smaller auditor, somebody without any baggage on this thing. I'd overpay for a clean audit, um, and I don't care what the past audit says. I'm not trying to preserve everything, just clean out the balance sheet, um, get it over with. Nobody cares anymore. Everybody wants to move forward, write off all of that stuff, take huge accruals, um, and I'm gonna change my board, and I'm gonna change management, I might even bring a third party um, compliance uh, internal control person in so that the new auditor has comfort that things are going on that uh, need to be going on to support an audit. And I would just pay because you have to have, you have, you have the money and you have to have the financials. Um, I would start growing once I have my licenses, but in very limited quality quantity because there's no circumstance where just, uh, where you're gonna be profitable, just growing a bunch of plants and, and becoming an LP again. That's not gonna work. And I would go out and buy uh, two or three or a handful of promising, but financially struggling because there's very little capital in the sector right now, small public or private companies that are focused on branding, branding distribution in cannabis or hemp because that's where the market's going. I've got a shell, I've got, I've got cash,
Um, I've got, I've got, um, <clears throat> I can grow. I have extraction capability, but there's not going to be margin in that. So what I want to do is I want to use my limited resources to provide that to uh, to the companies that need it and bring them in-house to create value for my shareholders. And I would rebrand the whole damn thing. Get rid of CanTrust. I don't know why they didn't drop that name long ago. It's because they have no turnaround plan. That's why they didn't do it. But that's what I would do off the top of my head and I think is doable. And uh, let's hope that uh, CanTrust gets its act together. Okay, Aurora Cannabis. Um, most people in space, well, everybody in space knows Aurora. Even those outside the space um, have an idea of who Aurora is. They're one of the larger uh, Canadian LPs and therefore one of the world's largest Canadian LPs. They're another struggling um, company. I don't think anyone's called them a turnaround. I might be the first, but this is a troubled company, a seriously troubled company in desperate need of a turnaround. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me one second, I'm just turning uh, Siri off here who's trying to talk to me as I talk about Aurora. Uh, this company is a company that had a market cap in uh, 2019 of $12 billion at one point, is down to $2 billion more or less now, dropped in about nine months, $10 billion of market cap. And everybody looks at it and says, well, that's the industry. The industry's dropping. And nobody's looking at this company in particular and saying, wow, these guys are screwing up. This is a very troubled company. Uh, there was a February 7th release, uh, so prior to last week, where they talked about the CEO, Terry Booth, uh, resigned. Um, and there was a search for a new CFO, CEO. Sorry, um, They're cutting back on costs. They laid off 500 people, which is 15% of their employees. Uh, they amended their credit facility. So they got rid of their EBITDA fixed charge covenants. Why do you think you get rid of an EBITDA fixed, cause ch uh, fixed charge covenant? It's because you're not going to meet it because you're going to have negative EBITDA. So you agreed to the covenant when you did the loan, which I think was as recently as a year ago, the uh, last addition to that facility. You agreed to the covenants. Now you're not going to make it. By the way, a fixed charge, a fixed charge covenant uh, means that you have enough cash flow to pay your interest and debt service. They're getting rid of that. Uh, they put in new covenants, which says that they're going to have positive EBITDA, amongst other things, positive, positive EBITDA by fiscal year 2021, so next year. And they reduced the amount of the credit facility was taken away from them. These are not positive uh, uh, trends with this credit facility, which is, I believe, led by uh, Bank of Montreal, although it's a syndicate. <clears throat> um, so there was an earnings call Thursday, I think it was, and I listened in on the call, and here's some of the highlights uh, from the Aurora um, earnings call. Current state of the market is challenging. Well, we all know that. Um, there was, there's retail constraints. Um, there's evolving markets, they say. I thought this was interesting. They say the what they call the value market, and I forget how they define that. The value market, I think, was uh, $8 a gram and under versus the premium market, which would be higher than that. Don't hold me to the $8, it might've been $9, something around that range. But however the defined value in the summer of 2019 was 2% of the market, and at December 31 was 17% of the market. So the whole market, legal market, is looking for a cheaper product. Premium went from mid thirties in the summer to 17% uh, in December. And Aurora is selling to the premium market. Now, they failed to mention that they're selling crap to the premium market. Different issue, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, <clears throat> so there's an evolving market that they're trying to keep up with. Distribution inventory adjustments, 
What does that mean? It means no one's carrying their inventory. The stores aren't carrying their inventory anymore. They used to carry a little bit of inventory. Now they're not. Why? Because people aren't buying Aurora. That's why. So why would I carry a bunch of inventory? So I was uh, in Calgary maybe a month ago and I was somewhere and the store beside where I was was a pretty slick looking retailer um, uh, for cannabis products. So I'm not a buyer. Uh, I don't use the product. Well, I take some CBD oil sometimes, but uh, but I went in to take a look around and I got talking to the manager there who was a super nice guy and he gave me a half an hour lecture on what the products were, what sells, what doesn't sell, and unsolicited, he went on a rant about Aurora uh, dried flower in particular and how it's horrible. The entire community knows it's horrible. Um, it's a terrible reputation. It's a terrible product. And they believe it's mostly a packaging issue as opposed to a, a growing issue. Yeah. And he opened up one for me and he opened up another product, which I won't name, but he thought it was amazing, uh, a BC grower. And, and it was amazing. Like the freshness difference was huge between the two of them. So um, it's interesting. The reputation this company has is pretty bad and it's showing up in the results now. Here was the big one. Um, SGNA was up for the quarter to $100 million from $80 million the quarter before. Why? More people, bonuses, rollout of uh, the 2.0 products, and uh, which is the edibles, and marketing campaigns. And now they're making cuts. So what's their target? To have this pe uh, positive EBITDA to show the Bank of Montreal? They want to cut down to 40 million to 45 million in overhead from 100 million. All right, it's a 60% cut. That's insane. Um, and this is all because when they amended the credit agreement, well, because they want positive EBITDA and they have to have positive EBITDA or they're going to be a default with their lender. So one of the analysts asked a very credible question, which was um, that they doubt the EBITDA margin, that the EBITDA is going to be positive and the margin is going to be fixed because your gross margins are dropping off the face of the earth because your prices are dropping because that's where the market's going and no one wants your product anyways. They didn't have an answer for that. Another analyst asked or pointed out that they produced uh, in that quarter 50,000 kilograms more than they sold. So they keep growing uh, because it's a fixed cost business more or less. So they keep growing, uh, but they, they can't supply the product. The 50,000 kilograms more than they sold uh, do you think anybody needs those can trust uh, 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 plants? No, right? So do they expect that conti uh, to continue? Or the question from the analyst was, was when will you shutter capacity? Pretty dead on question. And there was not an answer for that either. Um, and they're still looking for a full-time CEO and they're having a tough time with that in this environment. People are not calling Aurora a turnaround. Um, it's a troubled company. They're not calling it a troubled company. It is a troubled company. I think I might be the first to say it. Their trailing 12 month December 2019 revenue was 290 million, and they had a 220 million dollar EBITDA loss on 229 290 million dollars of revenue. <clears throat> Will the turnaround work? Will this company survive? I predict not. There is no turnaround leader, no CEO with turnaround experience uh, at this time. They're on a short leash. They've got bad product. Um, would I invest? Not a chance. Not a chance in Aurora. All right, Acreage Holdings, which I believe to be our last one. I think it is. Perfect. Uh, so one way to assess risk in an industry 
or a company is to look at their costs of capital. And in cannabis, if you've been reading stories, cost of capital has been going up uh, all summer. You know, three years ago, you hung up your shingle and called yourself a wannabe LP with uh, some square footage, you were gonna get 50 million, $100 million. Um, now it's hard to borrow money and you can't get equity when you try to borrow it, it's expensive, right? So who's Acreage? Well, they're one of the largest vertically integrated multi-state operators of cannabis assets in the United States. They trade on the Canadian Stock Exchange with a measly uh, $500 million market cap, uh, but the stock had been six times uh, more than it is today, uh, as recently as a year ago. So they had a pretty significant market cap not so long ago. June 2019, they made a deal with Canopy Growth, whereby Canopy has an option to acquire all of the shares of um, acreage. Um, and in fact, there's a triggering event, for example, when the US licenses, or sorry, makes legal cannabis, then Canopy is obliged to, to go through with this. So it's an effective sale to Canopy uh, without actually uh, having a change of control, seems to be the point of it. The idea is that acreage becomes a wholly owned subsidiary of Canopy, and that's already locked in. Canopy Growth, who are they? Anybody in the industry knows that they're the largest uh, producer in the world. They have a $10 billion market cap, 35% um, owned by Constellation Brands, which is even bigger. They own uh, Corona Beers and other brands. As of today, they have a $39 billion market cap. So Acreage has some pretty significant uh, parents and investors. So February 7th, there's a release, which I didn't understand at first. It took me some time to think through it and read and understand because I wasn't sure that I cared, and then it just kept bugging at me, so. They announced they had a $100 million credit facility. They were running low on uh, money, so they got a new facility for $100 million. Well, that's good news. From an institutional investor, good news. First draw, $49 million in February 2020, great news. Check this out, interest rate 2.55% for the first advance. 1.25% on the second tranche, whenever that may be, and the rest to be negotiated afterwards, which is kind of weird. I'm not really sure why you would negotiate interest afterwards. That maybe was the first thing that tweaked me to this being weird. And the fact that it was 2.55%, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. That's a really low cost of funds for anybody for a $100 million loan anyways. And um, in cannabis, I didn't think you could get that right now. So it sounds pretty good. Everything good so far. And in the press release indeed says everything's good. It uh, has the benefits of the transaction. We get our capital needs, satisfies the near-term capital requirements of acreage and its subs and creates a path for further borderings up to $100 million. Uh, Non-dilutive to canopy. Uh, the consideration per share to be received by acreage shareholders upon completion, uh, yada, yada, is not impacted by the financing transactions. Financial position, that gives you a bunch more money and it's not dilutive. So it tells you all the benefits of this. So this is good. This is not a trouble company. This is not a turnaround. So then we read further. Further, It says the first tranche, which as you recall is $49 million, which they're going to get in February 2020, it needs to be secured by cash. $50 million of cash. They need $50 million of cash as security to borrow $49 million. So you can't spend the 50 as well. So now that you have 99, you've got to have 50. Set it over here as security, and we'll give you $49 million and charge you interest. That seems crazy, right? 
So the company has negotiated a private 366, 366 days, so a year-long loan of the $50 million that they needed security to get the tranche one $49 million. The borrower for the private loan is a subsidiary of acreage, but they don't tell you which one. Interest on the loan will be payable in subordinated voting shares, and the cost of debt, if you look through some analyst reports, which I did today, didn't calculate it myself, but they've estimated that cost of this debt to be 20.3%. So you're paying 20.3% interest to borrow 50 million. So you put the 50 million aside to borrow 49 million at 2.55%. You're following this? Uh, interest is paid in shares, and the uh, shares that the, the lender receives are liquid, and to guarantee that they're liquid, there's a put option back to the company. Um, bottom line is, depending where market prices go, this could be a hell of a lot more than 20% interest uh, for this loan to get the security. Um, the $50 million private loan has got all sorts of uh, security around it, including the intellectual property um, and other things, uh, acreage, so it's a secured loan. And so that all seems pretty crazy. And then here's the kicker. The $50 million private loan at the 20.3, that's what I said, they calculated 20.3% interest. 21, 21 million of the 50 million is coming from Kevin Murphy, who is the CEO of Acreage. It's related party by the CEO is doing half of that. So, and that's just for the first tranche. If you want to get the second and third tranche to go from 49 million to 100 million, you have to keep you have to keep adding up, putting more cash collateral in um, to be able to get that. So at no time, who's ever giving you the loan of the 49 plus the two other tranches, at no time is there any risk to them because they've always got the same amount plus a million dollars extra in cash segregated, offsetting that. So to summarize, acreage. A subsidiary of the largest cannabis company in the world needed money and they borrowed it at two to a half percent at the parent level and they secured it with 20.3 percent money minimum at the subsidiary level and half of that was done by their own CEO. Why? Two reasons, possible reasons. Either they couldn't get money anywhere else or it's a cash grab by the related parties, by the CEO. Or both. And my bet is because there's a board of directors and some sophisticated people involved, that is not a cash grab, just that they, they couldn't get money any other way. And no matter what the answer is, a 25% cost of capital, which is more or less what this is going to be after fees minimum, that's really high. It's a high cost of a senior debt. And that means that this company is in trouble because cost of capital is a way to measure risk and whether a company's in trouble or not. So, why is it in trouble? Maybe its earnings are a hint. September 2019, trailing 12 months, that's the most recent statements I could get. 63 million in revenue, and their EBITDA was negative $156 million on 63 million in revenue. And, and what was the biggest expense driving all this? Uh, in the nine months, out of that 12, there was $101 million of compensation expense. $101 million in nine months compensation expense. There's probably a bunch of options and some weird fair value accounting under IFRS that drives that, but still, $101 million of compensation expense on $63 million in revenue. 
Conclusion, <clears throat> Linda, there's no money in cannabis right now. It's hard to get access to funds. Uh, I shouldn't say there's no money. There's some money, but it's not cheap. It's expensive. This company proves it. Uh, based on this fishy release, I dug into it more. Um, the structuring of this deal um, just speaks to the trouble. I predict this company is going to have further difficulty, although its management is sophisticated. Um, would I invest? Not a chance. I'd say away from this with a 10-foot pool. And not only is it a troubled company, but I think with this sort of deal, they're showing that minority shareholders are just going to get squeezed in this nonstop. That's my view of acreage. All right, uh, let's wrap this thing up. We've been 45 minutes. <clears throat> so, turnarounds. Remember, you need to, you want to evaluate whether a company is going to turn around, evaluate whether they have a turnaround leader. Do not rely on existing management. Existing management is good for when things are stable. You need to change. You need a different person. You need a turnaround leader, someone who can take the company through transition. How do you know if you have a turnaround leader? You look at the resume, you listen to them talk. But the other things you can do is come back to uh, the points that I've brought out in prior shows. And maybe I should do a show summarizing these in the future. <clears throat> but, but how do you turn around a troubled company? And the first thing you do is you admit you're in trouble. You hit it on the head like Cantrust did in their release last week. You say, here's all the trouble we have. And if you don't see them doing that, if you see them making excuses, uh, coming up with weird capital structures and issuing press releases, you know, for financing and issuing press releases, you know, that says everything's awesome with this deal, that's not a turnaround leader. To, do, to, to get yourself out of trouble, you need to first admit you're in trouble. You need to change the people around you. You need a, a, a turnaround CEO or CRO. You need to get rid of the guys that caused the trouble. Um, you look back to Cantrust. Cantrust did half of that. They brought in a new CEO who, in fact, was their CFO. <coughs> um, so maybe he's new, maybe he's not. I don't really know. But they haven't done the full gambit because the board of directors is more or less the same. And you need to fix it now. You don't have to, you can't have a plan to have a plan. You need to develop a plan like right now, tonight, release it as a general direction and start doing it. If it's not working tomorrow, change it. And I did it for you live <clears throat> on Cantrust. That would be my plan. And if I were running that place, I'd be up at 6 a.m., 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, and I'd be working on that plan. And maybe it's changed by noon, but it would be the plan. I wouldn't have a, a committee sitting around trying to figure this out for six months because that is death. Stakeholders <clears throat> need to be persuaded that there's action, that this is being taken seriously. <coughs> Sorry, I'm finding a cold tonight. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this and our review of cannabis last week and, and troubled companies. This is the Martinis with Scott show. We're a show about winning at business intending to help uh, management, CEOs, uh, CFOs, the C-suite, uh, directors, investors, uh, shareholders, everybody related to uh, business, um, uh, stakeholders and businesses and winning at business. Um, upcoming conversations, I think we're going to do some shows next week. I'm back in the East finally and we've got a bunch of interviews lined up so we'll have some more discussion style shows which ought to be fun. Please remember to subscribe. Martinez with Scott channel is on YouTube and uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Listen to some back content. Hit subscribe. Thanks very much for listening. It's been a blast. Talk to you in the next day or two.